Father, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And as we come to your word this morning, Father, I know that any of my efforts, any of our efforts as as a people, as listeners, even our efforts this morning are futile apart from the work that you do to make us new, to change us. And so, God, I ask, like I do every time I stand right here on this stage, that where I speak my own words, would they quickly fall away and be forgotten? But where I speak your word after you, do the work of building us into a people who love and serve each other and love and serve you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had a moment in your life uh, when you either thought to yourself or said out loud, oh no, I have made a huge mistake? Of course you have, right? It's a universal human experience. We all make mistakes. We all even make huge mistakes uh, at times along the way. And uh, I'm going to take you back to high school, sophomore year. One of those moments for me, a huge mistake in my life. It was uh, my buddy and I, my buddies and I were going to go TP some houses um, because high school, right? What, you know, we were high schoolers. Uh, and of course, my parents weren't going to sign off on this. So I did what any reasonable person would do. And I snuck out of the house at midnight uh, to go do this. Uh, what other choice do I have? I thought to myself, I, it never occurred to me, don't go. That was never an option in my mind. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess. Uh, so I snuck out. We TP'd a few houses. Things were going great. Everything was fine. Um, we were, we were on foot, so we were going from neighborhood to house to house in these neighborhoods, TPing these houses, and uh, all of a sudden, boom, like this bright light, almost like these lights uh, right now on me, surrounded us, piercing through the darkness, and we hear that, we just hear kind of this, I don't know if it was a megaphone or out the window, but we heard, hold it right there. We hear this, this loud scream, and it's, it's the Bel Air uh, Police Department, the Bel Air Cops. Bel Air is a, it's a small um, kind of suburban community on the edges of Wichita. And Bel Air, there's really not, the, not much that goes on there. So the Bel Air cops were known for kind of busting people for very petty things. And, and of course, we hadn't, we hadn't planned for this, right? We didn't talk through what we would do if the police got involved with our night of TPing. Um, so we did, again, what any kid without a plan would do in that situation, and we ran for our lives, right? We jumped fences, we dodged in and out of yards, through trees. Um, to be honest, I mean, as I think about it, I, I remember lights, and then I remember being in another neighborhood, because I have never been so amped in my entire life, right? <laughs> running, from the, running from the police. Uh, we eventually made it to another neighborhood where we thought we were safe. We thought we had kind of hit this clearing. I don't know what we thought, like 15-year-olds could outrun police. Um, we were wrong, of course. There we were, caught in our stupidity. The spotlight hit us again. We had nowhere to go. And my, I remember my buddies and I were like, should we go tell them? I'm like, yes, we should tell them. We were just TPing houses. It's not a big deal. Well, it turns out that there were several shootings in Wichita that night. Um, and so police were on the lookout for a bit high alert for people on foot running around. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, th this was that moment. We've made a huge mistake, right? Fortunately, the officer, he was cool. You know, he said, oh, yeah, we understand. I mean, we had, like, big trash bags full of TPs, toilet paper. So I think, I think he, he knew we were being honest. And so disaster averted until my mom found out the next morning. <laughs> disaster definitely not averted 
I was grounded for a month. I remember doing homework, sitting next to my mom every night for a month, doing homework, and then going to bed. It was, it was fantastic. That's, that, for me, is an, oh, no, I've made a huge mistake moment. And I'll, I'll look forward to actually hearing yours uh, in the coming weeks and months now that I've shared uh, this morning. But do you want to know what the biggest mistake that Jesus made is? Now, not really. I don't, I don't really mean that Jesus made mistakes. I don't think he, don't write that down or tweet that out or anything like that. But Jesus, here in our text this morning, he reveals God's big plan for the world, the way he intends to set all things right, to, where, where the things that are happening in heaven are happening on earth. Jesus outlines the plan and the feature role in the plan of redemption in the world is, ready for it, the church. According to Jesus, the church is the plan. We, we are the plan. We are it. The, you know, a small group of people here on a Sunday morning, on a holiday weekend, we're the plan, and there's no, there's no plan B. And I'm going to say it again, just to let it sink in. We're the plan. There's no plan B. And for some of you, this feels like a huge mistake. Like if Jesus were standing here right now, he'd say, oh, no, I've, I've made a huge mistake. The church, the church is the plan. Because for some of us, it, it feels more like the problem, right? We're either, we've been hurt by or frustrated with or just we're bored, bored in church. Many of our experiences challenge the plan that we're going to see this morning. And history, history includes countless examples of the ways that the church has blown it uh, by the things that we've done, things that we've left undone. And even here at Christ Community, I love this church. This is a great place, but we're not perfect. We're far from being perfect so Jesus' plan, as, as it unfolds this morning, it may sound crazy, but even it's interesting to consider that us, we are sitting here this morning as living proof that, that he meant what he said in this text. Jesus predicted this. He predicted us. He predicted you being here. He predicted Christ's community. He planned his church. So as, as scary and as humbling and as shocking even as, as it is, we are the plan and there is no plan B for the hope of the world. We say that often around here at Christ Community. The church as God designed it is the hope of the world. So before we accuse or I accuse Jesus of poor planning or hasty decision making, let's, let's hear him out. Matthew chapter 16. We'll, we'll hear three things about this plan. The plan for things that we should define us as the church, define us as Christians. First is the plan starts with Jesus, starts with him. He'll say the plan is a call to action for the church. It is a call to action. And third, the plan will not fail. It will not fail. So first, the plan starts with Jesus. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 16, starting in verse um, 13. That's where we'll be. We've been studying Matthew for for quite some time, right? And Matthew, he's one of the original disciples. Remember, he was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. He's called by Jesus to follow him. He's invited in. And now he's, he is the eyewitness to the things that we've been studying in this book. And with each story, we get closer and closer to Jesus going to the cross. And each, each story uh, that we come through in this, in this gospel is, a, is Jesus preparing his disciples for that moment and for his departure eventually. And verse 13 is part of that preparation. So look with me, Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, 
Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man, that's Jesus, one of his favorite nicknames for himself. Who do people say that I am? Now, it's interesting. This happens in Caesarea Philippi. It's not a Jewish town. In fact, the last couple of weeks, we've been moving out of these Jewish areas where Jesus and disciples have been doing most of the public ministry to this point. We moved out of those areas, and now we're into, into non-Jewish towns, in Gentile regions. And in fact, this Caesarea Philippi was an important Greco-Roman city in the day. Primarily Syrians and Greeks lived there, outsiders to the Jewish faith. And it's a place historically known for the worship of, of other gods, the worship of Baal. At that time, the worship of the Greek god Pan, and then Caesar the king. I think there are some ruins of the temple of Pan that will be up here. And that's the backdrop for, the backdrop for this question, the question that Jesus poses to the disciples. This question in, in the middle of this place where, where other gods are worshipped. It's a non-Jewish region. Jesus says, Who, what have people been saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And the answers aren't, they're not terribly surprising. He says, some, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, others just say one of the prophets, right? Basically, the disciples say, well, people think you're a prophet. That's what they're saying. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, and he, and he puts the question to them. He says, who do you say that I am? And this is, this is a big moment in the book, in this gospel of Matthew. The disciples, this group of 12, these Jewish men, they've been with Jesus for a while. They've seen, they've seen a lot, right? They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him challenge the religious leaders of the day. They've seen him feed the crowds, teach with authority, walk on water, cast out demons, love the worst of the worst. In fact, many of them are there because he's done that. They've seen enough, and Matthew is telling us as an eyewitness that right here at this point in the book, he turns to his closest, to his, the inner circle, and he asks them point blank, who do you say that I am? Everybody else says I'm a prophet. Who do you, who do you say that I am? I, I came across a website this week that, um, where people can submit their own responses to, to the phrase, to finish the phrase, Jesus is blank. Jesus is blank, which, as you can imagine, the responses are varied. Um, there are a lot. Uh, here's, here are a few of them. Uh, first, Jesus is not helping anybody. That was the first, the first one. Uh, second, Jesus is the way many people find happiness, so I'm cool with him. Right? That's a pretty neutral response. Jesus is a crutch for the feeble-minded. Jesus is a lie. Jesus is my best friend. This one made me chuckle. Jesus is a way around taxes. That's how a lot of people view my profession, I'm sure. This one's good, too. Jesus is watching you run those red lights. So he's, watch, he's, he's watching you. Uh, Jesus is the one who saved me for myself. And maybe this last one, which would have resonated with the people. Jesus is, is just a regular prophet who got stabbed in the back by his own people. Uh, there, there were many others, some were really good, others were really bad. They were all interesting. But I haven't been able to shake this question this week. Who is Jesus? Who do you say, Andrew, who do you say that I am? And I mean, I mean really, when it, when it comes down to it, how do, I, how do I answer this question? How do you answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Because you have, you have to answer for yourself your parents can't answer this question for you, whether you're 15 or 50. 
Your spouse can't answer this question for you, as tempting as that may be. I, I can't answer it for you. Tim can't answer it for you. The church can't answer that question for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? And not, not, just, not just with your words. This has been the convicting part for me this week. Not just with your words, but with the way you live, with your, your spending and your scheduling and your working and your playing. Who do you, how does your life answer that question? Who is Jesus? Because at some point, you're going to have to deal with that, to deal with who Jesus is. It, is he who he says he is? And Matthew tells us that Peter speaks up at this point, speaking probably for the whole. And his answer is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ. Now, Christ is not his last name, or like it could have been Jesus Campbell or something, right? Christ is a title. It's, it's the Greek word for, for Messiah, or the Greek word, yeah, which is the Hebrew word that means the chosen one, the anointed one, the king, the one who's been promised to come and save the world, the hope of the world. If you like stories, kids, if you like stories, it's like, it's like Peter saying Jesus is the true Luke Skywalker. He is, he is, the, he is the Harry Potter. He is... He is the true Frodo Baggins or Neo from the Matrix, which none of you are thinking that. No one, no one thinks he's Neo. But he is the one that, has come to, that, that was promised to come and make the world right again, right? And Peter, at this point, he gets it right, at least for now. He says, you are the one that, we, you are the one that has been prophesied from old. You're the one we've been waiting for, the one that would come and rule and, and, and save God's people. And, and Peter, on that side of the cross and the resurrection, he gets it right. And Peter, right, and the others, they've, seen, they've witnessed incredible things at this point. But the best was still yet, was still yet to come. And when you and I, when, when we consider how to answer this question, who is Jesus, we, we have to consider some of the, the incredible realities that, that Peter hasn't even seen yet to this point. I mean, there's, first, there's an empty tomb. Right, Jesus was killed, and then he was buried, and then he wasn't dead anymore. And that, that just doesn't happen, right? There have been theories over the centuries to try to explain his disappearance, but, but none of them add up. Jesus rose from the dead, period. People saw him. They interacted with him after he was killed and raised. And the disciples who, at his crucifixion, run as cowards and run into hi- hiding eventually become witnesses that are willing to die for his message. And that, that needs an explanation. Maybe the most tangible at all, the one that, that none of us in this room can debate, is the fact that we're all here right now. If Jesus, if Jesus isn't the Messiah, if he isn't the Christ, if he was a lie or a crutch or just some regular prophet who got stabbed in the back by his people, if he's a fake and a fraud and is really still dead? None of us are here. Christ community doesn't exist. The hundreds of churches in the city or the thousands across the country or the millions and millions of, of Christians across the world and throughout time, none of them make it. The early opposition to this message was too strong. There's no way this thing gets off the ground if Jesus is not the Christ. It certainly would not have spread to you and to me. So if you're, if you're skeptical at all about, about Jesus being who he says he is, just look, just look around. 
It's either the biggest hoax in all the world or Jesus really is the king. As we, as we look at the blank, Jesus is what? Jesus is who? He is the king. And that truth is at the center of God's plan for making everything right in the world. The plan starts with Jesus, the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. So Peter gets it right. Matthew tells us, Jesus, Jesus tells us, and Matthew records it, that Peter didn't come up with this on his own. Yes, the evidence was strong, but God revealed this to him. It's remarkable that Jesus says that. This has been revealed to you by the Father. Peter gets it right. He declares that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus, at this point, you know, he's, he's not too proud. Obviously, he says, the Father told you this. But he must have been like, yeah, you get it. You're getting it. Great, Peter. You understand that I am a part of the plan. And then he says, great, Peter, you get it. Now, now go to church. I want to talk to you about church for a minute. Which, which to me anyway, it would have been, it's a little bit shocking that Jesus goes right to talking about church, right? Probably even Peter's like, come on, Jesus, we can, really, we're going to talk about church? But see, Jesus, at this point, he, he moves from saying, this confession is so central to what I'm doing in the world, and so is the church. I'm going to build a people who is central to this plan for the world. And for Jesus, it's not merely just, church isn't just merely something you go to. It's an identity. It's an identity that, that, that is related, that's linked to him. And it's a call to action. That's our second point this morning. The plan, God's redemptive plan for the world is a call to action. Look at verse 18. He says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, I will build my church, Jesus says. Uh, I've been thinking this this week. What does that mean? Uh, it, it actually, as it as I, was, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, man, it would be really nice if, if what he meant there was Jesus was going to build our campus, a church building. That's, that was the first thing that hit me. Uh, that's not what he means right here. This church, we know this. We know this as a, as a mobile church especially, right? Church, church is more than a building. It's more than a place we come to. It's more than what we attend. It's a people. That's the word that's used here. It's, the word is ecclesia. It's a word that literally means the ones who are called out, the called out ones. It's commonly used in the day uh, for a gathering of people, an assembly, people that are, that are brought together around a common purpose or a common message. And Jesus says, I'm going to build this people. And it's not, it's not my church. It's not Tim's church. It's not your church. Jesus says, I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and I will build my church. I will call people to myself for a particular purpose. And if you and I can say, can resonate with that, and we can say with Peter, you are the Christ. You are the king. You are the one that was promised, Jesus. Then this is, this is who you are. You are part of this people, the ecclesia, his people that he is building. Part of God's plan in the world. It's why we can say we are the plan and, and there is no plan B. This isn't just a place where we fill our spiritual tank or we get some things tuned up or we even just get a little bit of entertainment on a Sunday morning. Church is more than that. It's a call, it's a call to action. It's a movement, a people that, are, that have been called together by Jesus himself for, for a, a particular purpose and mission in the world. And Jesus uses imagery to talk about that, that mission, this call to action. He says, Matthew says that he gives his followers the keys to the kingdom. The church holds the keys. And I, I remember getting my first set of keys, my first set of car keys, 
as a high schooler, and actually as I think about it this week, uh, it was just months after this TPing incident, which is remarkable that I was allowed to drive uh, soon after this. But my, this first car, it was a beauty. It was a 1987 Chevy Camaro, 305 V8, T-tops, aftermarket CD player, way more car than any 15-year-old should ever have. Beth can attest to all of that. It was, I should not have owned that car. But it wasn't the car that I, that I loved the most, as beautiful it was. It was, it was the freedom. It was... It was the access to a new world, the ability to go places without my mom. It was amazing, right? Really, I just got to go run more errands to the grocery store. That's what it amounted to for the most part. But that wasn't the point, right? I could go, I could go places. I had access. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Jesus hands over the keys access to the kingdom of God, which feels like an overstatement to say that the church has been given access, the keys to the kingdom of God. But that's what Jesus is telling Peter here, that the community that he is building, and later Paul will say the church, right, it's the body of which Jesus is the head. This church is described as the access point to the things of God on earth. Just like the keys uh, to, a, to a car unlock a new world to a teenager, Right, the new community that, that Jesus is building, it opens the door to God's kingdom. And so as, if, the, if this plan, if God's plan, redemptive plan for the world is a call to action, then we, we ought to be invi- inviting people in. Part of the activity of the church is to invite people in to God's kingdom. Because later, later in the gospel, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes at exactly this point. He says, he says woe to you, you hypocrites, You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't go in yourselves, and you don't allow others to come in. And so we, as a church, as God's people that he's called together, we don't slam the door on anyone. It's not who the church is meant to be. We have been entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. And the imagery continues, this imagery that fleshes out what this call to action is, where, where Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And I used to read this. I used to think that it was like the gate, you know, hell is out to get us, so we, we better just hunker down and keep, keep to ourselves, and the big bad world can't get us. I used to reverse the picture, thinking that we were the ones behind the gates needing to be protected from hell. But that misses the picture altogether. It's the gates of hell, and gates aren't weapons, right? They're, they are def- gates are defensive. Jesus is saying the church isn't scared and defenseless. Hell is. Yeah, there's, there, is, there is a rival kingdom out there that has lots, lots of territory where evil lives and seems to be reigning and, and gaining ground. And it can feel like the church is on its heels, right? Backing into kind of a corner that's just going to be an eventual defeat. But Jesus, he just flips it upside down and he says just the opposite. No, his church is storming the gates of hell with a mission to reclaim territory that has been lost to sin and death. It's a, it's a reverse picture. We, the church is, is going up to the gates of hell, storming it, and he says, they will not prevail. Now, we don't fight with physical, physical strength or military might or political power. No, we fight, we fight with love and compassion and grace and humility and weakness in the way of Jesus. The way of a cross. But it is a fight against what is evil and broken in this world, against oppression 
and injustice and racism and poverty and suffering and sin and even death itself. And Jesus says, if, you're a, if you call him the Christ, if you are part of this people that he has gathered to, him, to himself, this is who you are. This is who you are called to be, a part of this mission. So the question, one question for this morning is, what are we waiting for? Now, the church has its problems. Mo- mobile church has its problems, its issues. Right? It's messy. It can, be, it can be boring and ineffective, right? But, but we're seeing this morning, church is the plan. And there is no plan B. The church is the plan. Why not work, why not work to make, make it better? Now, when people find out that I'm a pastor uh, at a mobile church, they often, they, they usually go right to just talking about how much work it is, right? This, man, oh, mobile church, that's got to be really hard. That's, that's, that's a ton of work, and it is, right? You, most of you know better than I do how much work, how much work it is to do, to do church without a building, right? But there's a huge upside. One thing that I've come to learn, it's really fun about this stage that we're in, even, even if we have to set all this up every week, Right, this stage that we're in, I'm learning deeply that church is about a people and not about a building. Right, that 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 God is calling us together, and it's been really fun to see in in very unique ways that God is bringing people into this community through connections that that I would have never. I mean, too intricate to to orchestrate. God is clearly at work in building this people together, and many of you were not here when this thing started but have been welcomed in and welcomed in to this community. You've found a place. You're part of this people now. You're part of the mission of this church, which is to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the King, the one who was promised centuries ago. That's the, that's the mission that we're on as a church. And that, that is, uh, it's a fight. No, I mean, this imagery of the gates of hell it's war imagery, and that's, that's what we're engaged in as a church, in this mission, in this city. We're doing that work together, but we battle by, by loving others, by sacrificing for them, by welcoming in the outsider, by caring for the vulnerable and the oppressed. We do it at home and at school and at work, right, where the church not just gathered, but where the church scattered in our vocations, in our work with advice and aid, just right, literally right, right across the street, and with our brothers and sisters across the world in China. We're involved in this mission. And we do it here on Sunday mornings, right? We aren't just the church scattered either. We're the church gathered where we remind one another of this good news that we were once enemies to God, and now we've been welcomed in, called together as his people, part of his family. And we have a long way to go as the church, but we are the, we are the plan the local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. So if you're following this, Jesus picks, he picks ordinary and broken and needy people, right? There are no superheroes in our midst here this morning. And the, and the first disciples, they're a mess, right? Which is why there's, there could be no arrogance or pride or self-righteousness in the church, right? He picks sinners like me. And then, and then he gives us an impossible task. Says, you know everything that's broken in the world, all this, all this that's going wrong. Yeah, start fixing it. And here's their most remarkable part. 
the seemingly ridiculous plan, it will not fail. It cannot fail. And for 2,000 years, it hasn't. It has survived crucifixion and the Colosseum, and, and every attempt to destroy it has actually made it thrive, has actually, has actually grown his people. And sure, we can flip on the news and things look bad, right? We get nervous. It doesn't look like the church is going to make it, and yet the church has thrived through worse than this. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What other, what other investment gets that? Is, is that certain? What else in life is so sure? I showed, I showed this picture earlier, the temple to Pan, which was in Caesarea Philippi. Well, right next to this is a cave that's commonly, commonly referred to in the ancient world as the gates of hell. It was thought in pagan context to be the place of death and darkness, where death and darkness at, at night came out to play. And we don't know if Jesus was right there, but it's, it's hard to imagine that he wasn't. And he says, you know, he looks around at this, at the Roman, at this Greco-Roman city, the most powerful empire of the world had known at that point. He looks at everything powerful and dark and even death itself. He points to the gates of hell and says, you and I are going to outlast all this. This empire, the gates of hell will not prevail. We are going to outlast this. And nothing outlasts death, friends, except for, except for Jesus and his church. Jesus says, we will, even death, even my death, even your death, nothing, nothing can stop those. And, and this changes everything, right? At least it should. It should give us hope. That's our final question this morning. Are we fueled by hope as a church? Not by selfish ambition or power or a desire to be right or even relevance or effectiveness. Are we fueled by hope? Because where else can you find hope today? In human progress? No. Technology, politics, education, family. We, we try those things, and they, they come up short. Only here, as part of this people, is there true hope. And I know that we're all in different points this morning. Some of us think this is ridiculous. Others of us are all in, right? But no matter where you are, just one simple next step as we think about this call to action and the fact that this plan will not fail, it's this. Just try, try church. Try it. Not just coming, but being, being part of this people. And for some of you, that, that's going to require setting aside some of your cynicism in finding out who Jesus is. Who is who is Jesus? For others, it'll mean just not just putting your toes in the water, but actually jumping in and swimming for a while. Getting to know people and letting them get to know you. Joining a community group. Keeping, just keep inching forward, committing. Right? Serve here or outside these walls. Give generously. Tell others about Jesus. And many of you are doing this. Many of you believe against all odds that the church as God designed it is the hope of the world. That this really is God's plan. There's something beautiful about God working in and through his people to redeem all of creation. He's making all things new. You are his church. Keep it up. Be encouraged. Your efforts are not in vain. God is moving. We're the plan and there, there is no plan B. 
And Jesus was so sure of that that he went to a cross. He died. He rose again. And he gave us his spirit. And I'm so glad he did. It has meant redemption and hope for my life, for my family, for many here. We live in a, in a world so desperate for hope. And here it is, as part, of, as part of the people of God. So may God find us faithful as we step into this call to action and follow him, our king, the one who has promised centuries ago. Let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, that you that you are the one that is building your church, not just here, but across the city, across the globe. And you, for, for centuries, have been calling people into your family. And there's so much hope to be found in an, in an empty tomb and a king who sits on the throne. God, may we be found faithful in these days in between where you're not here yet, but you're reigning. God, I pray that we would, we would look to you as our hope and that we would be that hope in the world, the hands and, your hands and feet for those who are desperate, suffering. God, I pray that we would be your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.